Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. As an entrepreneur, we all share one thing in common. Every single one of us has made a bad hire. Now let's define what a bad hire is. A bad hire is what happens when our need to fill something quickly overrides our logic to do it right. The interview process gets rushed, red flags get overlooked, and snap, just like that, you have hired a person who's nothing more than a seed filler. We all hope that the person will work out, but we know deep down, we just made a bad hire. Here's the truth. You can still hire quickly when you slow down your interview process. Less steps, more quality time. Going deep is the only way to uncover the fit of the individual into the culture of the organization. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and business executives win-win the strongest hires. We do so by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, disruptors, and industry leaders, like our guest today, Mr. Kisan Patel. Kisan is the founder and CEO of DealRoom, a lifestyle management software for financial transactions as well as the author of Agile M&A, Proven Techniques to Close Deals Faster and Maximize Value. In 2016, he started M&A Science, an educational podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories from leading M&A practitioners, now boasting over 25K monthly listeners and 400K downloads. Kisan has expanded the M&A Science platform to include a training program, M&A Science Academy, allowing others to learn practical how-tos and how they can easily apply their own practices from M&A professionals. He is running two profitable businesses right now, which they're actively hiring, which is what makes Kisan the perfect expert for today's topic. Kisan, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Thanks for having me, Rick. Glad to be here. Pleasure to have you. We've been introduced, as most people know here, we do like a bit of a prep call. And it was kind of funny because we hit it off really well. And we started talking about some of the bad hires we made in our history. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to actually, we're going to talk about why we as entrepreneurs continually make bad hires. And we're going to talk about how to break the cycle and then how to go a little bit deeper by moving faster. Sound like a plan? Let's do it. You shared a pretty funny bad hire story with me. Let's dig into that. I find that's like a really fun place to open up. We got a lot of bad hires. We want to start with the worst hire? Sure. Let's talk about the worst one. So the worst hire story, I remember this is before any of the current businesses I'm running. I wanted to do a tech startup, had an idea, just like other entrepreneurs, you want to rush to build something. So skipping all these steps to validate and whatnot. And back then, there wasn't a big ecosystem to go to, to go hire developers, I don't even remember if LinkedIn even exists or was just getting off the ground. It wasn't even focused on, on the job search. So like every good entrepreneur at the time, I posted an ad on Craigslist and basically hired the first five people that responded to that job post thinking be hire engineers, they're going to build a product, very different than building a website. So I had one person that I knew and connected with really well and made him the team lead. So I'm going to make you the team lead and sort of manage the efforts through you. And then we had a handful of other folks, but there's one gentleman, we won't give him a name at this point. We'll call him Bill. So we had Bill. We're a medium person. We have our office in Chicago. We have everybody get together. And my uh, project lead said, hey, this guy seems a little odd because here's Bill. He shows up on the first meeting with this kind of like a flannel shirt, pretty baggy clothes. 
not really up to current uh, GQ styles. And he had these big, thick glasses with a film of crust across it. So you couldn't really see his eyes clearly. And bad BO was the other big indicator that my PM mentioned. And I, I remember talking to him saying, hey, what if he's a really good coder? And can we work past this? Since most of the time we're going to be working from home anyways, if he turns out to be an incredibly good coder, maybe this is worth the trade. And he's like, you know what? You're right. Why don't we give him a shot? Those are the words that make me cringe. Let, let's just give him a shot. Like, ooh. So in short, I think about a week into it, we realize Brett hasn't checked any work. We're like, all right, let's give it one more week and then that's it. And kind of was clear communicating with him that, you know, there's an expectation for him to get work done by the next week. Next week came, instead of getting work, I had an email directly to me that was a very long email basically saying everything we're doing is wrong. We should be taking a totally different technical direction and all these little nuances about mistakes I'm making, bad management approach and all this stuff. I respond cordially. It's okay. I understand you disagree, but why don't we just move different directions and happy to leave on good terms at best. That didn't end there. These emails kept coming in. They became more progressive. I think to the point where I had an email that referenced the end of the movie Black Hawk Down. Basically, everybody <laughs> dies. This is what's going to happen to you and your company. These emails kept coming. There was weird things where my Craigslist account got hacked into and he's posting ads. So I'm getting all these odd phone calls. The things that were really falling into more of a harassment category. So I thought, hey, this person, let me go call their local jurisdiction just for peace of mind that I don't have anything to be concerned about. And I remember calling and an elder woman picked up and I was explaining everything to her. And we're both like laughing about it. I'm like, you know, this is really fun. And, but she's checking on her computer. All of a sudden, she goes stark silence for about 10, 15 seconds. Am I, hello? Are you still there? He's got a record. He's you got hired a, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. He's got a record for, <laughs> yeah, he might as well have been. He's got a record for harassment and criminal trespass. And that was a big lesson learned. I, I said, hey, I got staff in the office. Would you mind sending me a photo? They sent me a mugshot photo, which I was like, maybe I shouldn't share that with the staff. because Yeah, you probably don't want to let them know that you hired a felon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. I So that was a good hard lesson. This is a reason why they do background checks. This is a reason why you have a formal interview process and you don't jump the gun and just hire people right off the bat. There was some good lessons learned out of that experience. We all have to have them, right? I think in total, Rick, I had about 150. I, I saved them for a period of time, but I had about 150 emails from this individual over a course of, I want to say, a year and a half. So nobody else hired him because if he would have gotten hired, then what would have happened? He would have transferred that over to somebody else. That's what I was hoping. To. Oh, <laughs> man. You should have probably called somebody that you knew and said, hey, you need to hire this guy. Get him <laughs> off my back. So fast forward to today, let's talk about some of the challenges you guys are having in your organization as far as hiring goes. I think we had actually talked about hiring cross functions. Where are the challenges there for you? Well, it changes when you are a little startup. As a founder, CEO, you have to do most of the hiring. And you know, the first problem is you tend to be biased and hire people like you, which is not good. Same no. strengths and weaknesses, bad. And we'll expand on that. Then as you grow the company, around 20 to 30 people, you'll have to stand up functions. So software business, your development, your R&D development function starts developing. And that's kind of the first thing you build out that team. And then for us, it was marketing, sales. Now we're starting to look at some of the other components. It gets difficult to be 
the leader to run around trying to staff these different functions as you're standing them up, which is where you need to have a leader in place and work with them and put that burden of responsibility on them and know that they're probably going to make better hiring decisions. This is their domain. They know it. They know the space. They're going to end up owning and working with that team. So there is a transition of being able to step back away from those day-to-day activities, but still being involved. That's where the stage we're at in terms of how hiring is changing, where it's going from being a single team to having different hiring processes within the function and very different people involved in that hiring. We've seen it evolve to where on the cultural side or the value side of the company, you don't need the team who the person's going to be working with doing those interviews. You know, they could be focused on the skills piece and you can have an outside function that comes in like a marketing person who evaluates somebody for value alignment, which saves the time of the people that are most critical in getting product development done. I totally agree. So you brought on leader, right? Do you have an environment where you're bringing people up through the ranks, you hire them junior and then kind of give them a path or you bring in an outside leader? Early days is very much organic, especially when you're taking the bootstrap path. You tend to do that. If you raised millions of dollars, great. You're positioned to hire your VPs and allow them to bring their former colleagues over and build their team out and get there faster. So very much a bottoms up approach. I think now that we're hitting our strides with growth, we're investing in higher level of talent as needed. I think we very much have a culture of if there's a person we identify that wants to take the opportunity to move up into that leadership role, we're willing to give them a shot. And if it doesn't work out, we're willing to talk to them and sort of clarify why that didn't work out or why we need to put somebody in as an outside expert. I think just being transparent, you know, being really clear that, hey, there are certain roles that we do want to bring outside expertise in just because it's going to bring some unique skill set to the team and company that would allow us to achieve our goals faster. Well, on that concept of also like hiring talented people, as you come across people, whatever you're doing on a day-to-day basis, when you come across people who are really strong, smart people who kind of resonate with the organization, even if you don't have a role for them. It's hard to hire good people. I think there's, when you want somebody really, really good, it's taken a lot of time. Even myself, if there's certain roles and we're running a really active process, going to be competitive, that's great. I really allow the team to run that. But some, we brought another executive earlier this year. We brought a chief operating officer. That wasn't a quick search to go hire that person. No. That we've actually tried to bring an executive before that didn't work out. There's a lot of components that go into it in terms of is their skills right for the stage you're at? Because when you're an early stage company, they got to work across functions. And then there's a culture fit a part of it as well. So for this, we're fortunate we worked with him in little fractional capacity because we run an online academy program. And we worked with this individual to basically one of our instructors. So we had this established relationship and then little by little kind of brought up the idea as it came up and then saw there was that window of opportunity and it still took a good three months of courting to really get something solidified to put something together so i think that still falls in my domain is looking at some of the more strategic hires and having a long view on them that you know if there's certain key leadership that we're going to need now down the road so maybe in the next year cfo is going to be another key hire can i start taking a look around at the network ask people around 
at least start identifying that a year out. I think it's a really smart idea to look at people on a fractional basis, like you just discussed, and then try before you buy, essentially. Help us out with a few projects. And if we jive, you don't have to go through full interview process, but you should at least have some idea of how well that person's positioned for your organization. I love these platforms like Upwork, where you can find a dependent freelance. And I never have any luck on Upwork. Or There's a process that you need to create to okay. actually do that. I have two people on my management team that came from little project. One of them came from a usability test. I think, and it was funny because my interns in their second year of business were conducting a usability. And when you're early, you, you do that. You leverage interns. They're doing a usability test. I happened to have walked by to check up on them where they had this individual on a speakerphone. And what piqued my interest was he was citing bugs as he identified them in more of a professional documentation or technical way you would document it. So I thought, wait a minute, he doesn't even do a usability test. Put him on the QA team. They need some help. And he ended up replacing three part-time folks that we had doing QA work. And then it just, the person initiative, he said, started noticing there was an issue between the documentation our engineers needed to develop and what was created for them. So he fit himself in there and was writing the documentation, essentially project management. Next, you know, I had that conversation and explained, hey, you're doing this new activities and whatever, maybe we can update your title and comp. I'd had that conversation about three or four times over the course of the past seven years. And then we have another hire, uh, same thing, engineering. Started off a little test project. Here's a $100 project to fix a small problem we had. Did success at that. Part-time engineer, full-time senior engineer. Now I was on the management team. If you're an entrepreneur, you typically start out when you don't have any money. You give somebody an advisory title and offer them a little bit of equity to help you out and see how that works out. I've never had luck with that. Upwork, the key thing is like you got to have a funnel. If you, especially it's certain jobs do really well. You got to have a funnel and, and create a little test project associate. I remember we wanted to hire a researcher. We had so many people apply for it. It was a ridiculous amount, 70, 80 people. So we came up with a test project of here's five contacts that were executives of various firms that we knew were extremely hard to find their information. Go find their contact information. And that quickly narrowed it down to like three or four candidates. That sounds like a search process. That's what I do. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard. For our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to Healing Career Wounds. Let it be your startup's guide to hiring the strongest talent. Our guest today is Kisan Patel. He's the founder and CEO of Deal Room and MA Science. We're discussing his story with some of the hiring challenges he's had in the past. And now we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how you solve the problem, right? So you learned a lot from that first, we'll call him uh, Buffalo Bill that you hired, right? Moving forward, what did you put in place to get yourself to a position where you now have a process in place that's kind of strong and and you're attracting better talent. I remember the first thing was getting comfortable firing people. I feel like that was one of the things that you had to learn early. And, and I see founders struggle with that. They know there's a mismatch. They keep the awkwardness. Eventually gets super awkward and a person leaves. But that's not the right way to do it. It's better to be proactive because yeah. if you didn't do the right hire, being really proactive about having the tough conversation. Hey, this wasn't a good fit. This is why. And just being really, but then don't leave a person hanging. I, this is how we're going to fix this and help them transition. Usually a lot of times they open up and saying, you, you know what? I feel the same way. This yeah. is a good fit. Cause obviously they want to feel successful in their role. It happens a lot where people say like, yeah, I'm not a fit here. And they, they're relieved that you have that conversation with them. And it's funny because I feel like there's this like stigma behind having this conversation that you don't want to piss somebody off and then have them sue you. But I don't think it doesn't really unwind that way. 
I think when they sue you is when they feel like they've been slighted or you just ignore them and don't help them to get to a better place. Be supportive. If you can help them, let them know that I'm going to help you with this transition. And there's things you can do depending on the stage you're at with your company. If you can keep them on payroll to give them some time to find the new role, if you can give them recommendations and things of that sort. I think that's the key thing is having that conversation and just preserving good face, but being proactive, have that conversation, have it early. Don't wait on it. I think the other thing that we learned was don't let one person make hiring decisions. If you look at today, we take an approach. I remember reading it from, I remember the book, Google Now where we'll keep a a little pod of three people that are essentially going to make the decision on a hire. If I have one person, they can make a bad choice. If I have two people, they could get deadlocked. If I have three people, they can figure it out. Four people, deadlock. Five people, too many cooks in the kitchen. Three people seems really ideal. And ideally, three people that are going to be working closest with that role. I think that's been one where we set that up and then formalize your process. We have like an intro call just to generally see if there's a fit, maybe touch base on comp expectations early and make sure there's the check the boxes, right? Make sure this person's not crazy, things like that. And then move into a formal interview with a different person. Then they can go through and do their writing. Usually I try to get somebody that's a little type A. They can do an assessment, have some good notes to write up on why they think they would be a good fit or not. And then a lot of times what we try to do is fit in a test project. I think that's another key thing that's helped a lot is figure out what is going to be relevant for them to work on. We have an EA role. We're coming to conclusion now. And the test project was, here's a recent recording of an event we had. Can you write up a summary? In that event, I mentioned doing a follow-up with one of the folks there. Can you actually draft that follow-up email? And then here's a cold profile of somebody I don't know. Can you draft an email if you were going to reach out to them? And then we pay for these test projects, right? Because there's a couple hours of work involved. You don't want to take advantage of people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's their time. I think to me at the end of the day, you do this with three to five people, make it like a $100 test project. You spend three, 500 bucks. That's nothing compared to just everybody's time in general. But we ask them to send an invoice, which is also part of that test project. So we get all these assets to look at and it helped. I mean, this situation, it helped shortlist five people to two people and then we just do a final round of interview and then we could and it depends you know we, if a salesperson they might be doing a presentation they might actually do a software demo in front of a group of people in the company or they present a 30 60 90 or do a mock-up of a discovery call it really depends on the role but we try to correlate some kind of test project with it it seems to me like you got three components to it right like you're building an accountability which is shifting everything from you to the leader, a system, being systematic, and then really being able to structure it in a way where when you get to an offer, you close them. Like getting to the offer, I always like to have a call and go through an offer letter with that person. Ooh, tell me about that. That's interesting. This is before you send them the offer letter? You're creating an offer letter with them? Yeah. Well, there's we have a template yeah. and there's key things, right? There's your base comp. There's going to be the benefits and then, you know, the bonus. And it depends. Maybe sales, there's a more detailed commission structure. I found it helpful to have a conversation and check in with them saying, hey, you know, he's done really well. We've gone through this whole process. I'm just curious where your head's at. How do you feel about the opportunity? How do you feel about it? Let them talk first. You know, they might surprise you and say, well, you took this other offer or something else. You never know. But see what that, you want to make sure they're excited for it. And then- But that's a question that's often overlooked. What ends up happening is they say, hey, we want to make you an offer. 
when can you start and here's your offer letter. It's like gauging or getting that feedback. It's not that scary and it's critical in the fact that if you, that feedback is invaluable. The start date's important, right? That's part of it. So I, I want to clarify these terms and say, look, I, I want to extend an offer letter, but I want to go over some of that information with you. And I go, so, hey, we talked about the base. You know, where are you at? We always like to build it around something that the person's comfortable with. You know, I don't like shotgunning. There's comp expectations. And if it's a line, you usually have something that we're a range that we're shooting for. And then we want to make sure it's aligned with their expectations. So usually we already have a sense of that beforehand. When we're at offer letter, we're pretty clear on what we're going to offer and what they are at. So, but I just want to confirm that, right? We talked about whatever it was, you know, hey, we had this range 70 to 90K, you know, you're right there at 80, you know, is that, that's what we're anticipating on offering you, you know, and get that confirmation. And then the start date, you know, what's the start date? You mentioned you want to give two weeks notice in your previous role. Okay, great. And then walk through benefits. We're doing a limited PTO. What does that actually mean? I had one, I remember. I was trying to be cute and funny. And I was like, look, we only give three days off in a year. And after that, you actually have to pay the company to take days off. And I said it with a straight face. And the usual response like, wait, they pause. Like, are you serious? I had one that didn't. And I, I kept thinking to myself, wait a minute, are they even listening to me? And uh, she's like, no, I actually work in a not-for-profit space. And uh, that's actually better than what I get now. <laughs> so I was just, <laughs> it threw it backwards on me. And that backfired big time. Yeah, huh? yeah. But it's always fun. You go through this and then you present it and at least have like confidence. Usually they give you that certainty or whatnot. Hey, I'll leave it to you to, to review if you need anybody else to look it over with you. And then come back to me if you have any questions. But I found that to have a higher certainty because sometimes there could be one little thing or something you could have clarified before sending the offer letter that would have made things easier and smoother. I mean, it's great when you see things get turned around the same day, next day. Well, I find that just asking somebody if they want the role, like right up front before you even get into the comp side. Yeah, I want it. Why? Well, yeah, that's, that's true too. Yeah, like, I mean, you it... mentioned that. You asked them what they thought. But taking it a step back further, I mean, if I can fulfill what it is they desire out of their work, then that's far more powerful than like usually the salary negotiations go super smooth because they don't care. They see the value in joining your organization. Have you thought about career paths? I think this is one thing that we're starting to think about. It's not just a role, but helping them see a bit of a roadmap that you're joining this organization, but we have a career path laid out for you that it's not just this, but this could grow into this and this as our company grow. We're starting to identify that better that, Hey, our company's growing. These roles change just, we haven't been giving that transparency because we can, we can start thinking about it and saying, well, if we grow at the current rate, we're growing, this is what your role is likely to change and could evolve into. That is the most valuable tool that some of our clients have been using lately is we have a progression path for you as opposed to, and that's why so many people have jumped ship from other companies in the past year and a half or so, because they've capped out or the management or leadership has not taken the time to say, okay, well, we're still fighting through pandemic, but hey, here's why we can kind of make sure that you're progressing. So people just got fed up with it. And as a result, you've got a lot of those companies that aren't really doing that, that are having issues. And the ones that are, are the ones who are able to attract all that talent. This past year, it's been a lot more 
transparency on the company culture has been the big thing yeah. as we see everything move into remote roles. They were really trying to give people a feel in the interview process of what the culture is like, or even if they're just doing an assessment to see if it's worth applying for. That's been a big, big thing that we've been. All right. Well, shoot, we're getting pretty close on time. Kisan, what would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? Building off that values. I think that's one I didn't take lightly in the beginning. I thought it was kind of a fluffy joke type of thing that companies leaned on just to rally people for a reason. But when we look at how that applies today, and if we take our goals and reverse engineer it, it should lay out these key values that you need to identify in people to hire. So that's been a far greater emphasis in our whole hiring process is finding unique ways to identify these common values that fit our company and how well a candidate would fit into it. I think that's a big one. Just having a good mix of your search process. I think, you know, if you can incentivize an internal staff is good. Having proactive search out there and passive search, the combination I've seen that this past year where for even sales roles, they've we've had one and one fall from all the different channels, ended up working out really well. Today, the best sources are referrals and proactive recruiting, right? People that you've built a relationship with. Kassan, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience could reach you to find out about your companies? Sure. If you're interested in learning about M&A, mascience.com. We've got tons of content about the industry there. And then myself, I'm on LinkedIn. It's Kisan, K-I-S-O-N. Patel. All right. Well, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show's for you. So we want to make sure to continue to bring you valuable content. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Or you can drop me an email at rickandstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Brian Adams, not the rock star. He's the uh, founder and CEO of PH Creative. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Giraud.